0: Listen, this morning is a, kind of a unique Sunday. We're excited about um, just sharing with you some direction of where we're going as a church body. And we're taking a little short break from the Gospel of John, um, just kind of a one-week hiatus from that. And uh, we're going to kind of roll out some things, share, share with you uh, just some, some vision kinds of things. I want to show you a picture here of uh, Neighborhood Bible Church circa uh, fall of 2006. And um, many of you sitting here in this room are in this picture. You have to squint a little bit to, to find out. Now, there's one interesting thing here uh, that you wouldn't catch unless we zoom in here. You'll notice that Rob Collins was 7-3 back in fall of, uh, of 2006. And so he's shrunk a little bit. Um, but uh, this is a picture really of um, just the heartbeat of a couple of churches that, that joined forces. And there were some people. Uh, this building's been here for a really, really long time. And God's just done a, a new work here. It's just been so exciting to watch him work and to watch him lead and kind of guide us along in the process. Neighborhood Bible Church was started um, quite intentionally uh, with, a, with a very clear focus. And we basically, we basically said, man, here's an opportunity to take to take the Bible and to, and to do church the way, um, the way the Bible insists it must be done and then use the freedom God's given us to say, Lord, we'll, we'll paint whatever picture you want here, but you have to guide us and be the instructor in that. Now, I want to make it really clear. I think most churches, if not, well, not all, I wouldn't say all, but many churches start off with that same passion. They were launched out and they were started With people gathering and saying, man, we want to we want to do church according to the Bible. And what happens is uh, over the years, sometimes baggage gets added to that. We all come with our own traditions of what we think church is and what what it's about. Um, We even quote things that we think are scripture, uh, but they're really not. They're traditions that have been instilled in us. And we've we've associated those with with church. And so. uh, as, a, as an opportunity to have a blank canvas and to think and dream together as a group of pastors, was really, really exciting for me um, to just dialogue and think about this. We launched the church with a really clear focus. We, we picked these four things and, and felt like God was really leading us to, um, to, to, to really stay focused on, on these four areas of Sunday worship, community groups, the word local, and children's ministry. Um, there was a desire to eliminate the unnecessary things of church so that the essential things would, would shine and just really come forth. The other thing that we really were excited about was this idea of being a smaller church, being in a local neighborhood, being right next to a school, is to just say, let's, let's not try to be a mega church. Let's not try to compare ourselves and look at what other churches are doing and just try to be that. Let's actually leverage the fact that we're a smaller church, by and large. In fact, actually, we're an average-sized church in America. This is the average size. If you look around this morning, we're a little on the light end right now. This is the bulk of what God's doing in America. Um, most churches in central Iowa this morning that are 70 to 100 people uh, don't get a lot of press. People don't interview their pastors. They don't get book deals, all kinds of stuff. Go over to China. Go down to uh, South America. This is this is more the picture of Of kind of church and and what God is is doing so how can we stay nimble and leverage our size for kingdom work and how can we how can we just take this and say Lord we want to we want to fill the niche you have for us in your kind of greater church here in the in the South Bay area about a year ago we took a series and we just looked very intently at wanting to have a clear accurate picture of what the church is and so we went to the Bible that seemed like a really good place to go right And we just took biblical words like like the church as family, the church as body, the church as a flock, and the church as a bride. And we just began to explore those metaphors and say, why did you use those words, God? We want to recapture the vision of those words and why you chose to communicate the church in that way. I don't want to hear feedback right now. We have so much to cram in this morning that it's stressing me out. I need to just give that up right now. But I want you to think about this. What is the church? I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you to think about that. We use this term a lot and we try to be really careful about this term here at Neighborhood. But what is the church? People say, um, I go to a church. I belong to this church. I'm excited about my church. Obviously, if you read the scriptures and if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably heard it said from someone up front here. But that is that we don't come to a building and and be a part of the church. We are the church as people, right? That's that's the way it goes. That's God is indwelling people, not buildings and not places. Praise God for that. That's part of the gospel. That's part of the the great news that we have. I like this idea that the church we just sang about this. That. Nothing is going to prevail over the church that Jesus Christ is building, which means that everything we do, everything we talk about from this from from this morning standpoint, about what we're what we're wanting to to seek in terms of the kingdom of God work. It cannot fail. Now, our plans may get shifted. Our plans may fail. We go, okay, Lord, that must have been a lot of flesh right there. But this idea of building the church of Jesus Christ is is a mission that will not fail. Someone's termed it this way. I love this. It's an unstoppable movement. And really, the church is is an unstoppable movement of the people of God. And whether this building were to burn down tomorrow, the church would go on. Right. We would we would press on with that. In fact, history shows us that any time the church is persecuted, it flourishes. It gets stronger. It actually weeds out things that may be holding it back and it pushes it forward. I was so blessed last fall to be in a cabin, uh, mostly of guys from the former family Bible church, which was here. And they went through some pushing and some stretching and some changing in this whole process of turning into neighborhood Bible church. And a couple of them just said, man, we never would have picked doing it that way. But catch this. It's the best thing that's happened in our spiritual walk in we can't remember how long. Now, that's pretty mild persecution compared to getting thrown in jail or having your life threatened or something like that. But that's the nature of the people of God. There's a question that comes to my mind and it's good to ponder, and that is this. Why are you and I still here? If you're a child of God, if you by faith have received Jesus Christ, accepted him as your Lord and Savior, why did God leave you here? He could have set it up any number of ways. He could have immediately snatched you at the moment of of true conversion. You have a regenerate heart. He could have immediately snatched you away, put you on a cool little planet where, you know, it's like, I don't know, Christian playland or something, you know, whatever. And and then we know you're saved. I mean, that would have been really awkward for someone. You know, I'm I'm a Christian. I'm saved and you don't go anywhere. Well, it didn't work. You know, you're not really a Christian, I guess. God left us here for a reason, right? God left us around here. And we're going to talk about that. We're just going to explore and, and kind of dive into that. Um, in terms of just thinking about the mission of the church, I know we talk about this a lot, but I want to, I want to keep this clear and forefront in our mind. Matthew 28, 18, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, in light of that fact, here's what he says, go and make disciples of all nations. We just sang about it baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what are we to be about as a church? It's pretty simple. Make disciples, and not just make disciples, right? That's not just making converts. Oh, we had 27 people sign some card. Big deal. He says, teach them to obey all I've commanded you. So that means life change. There should be transformation happening. Five years from now, Neighborhood Bible Church should not look the same way it does today. And when I say Neighborhood Bible Church, I mean you. I mean you as a family, as an individual, us as a community. We ought to look different than we do today, right? Now, this is all just plagiarized from the Bible, and we think that's a really good thing. That's the kind of plagiarism we we wholeheartedly give ourselves to. How are we set up to do this? You're asking this question, where do I fit into this picture? How am I needed in this movement? How can God use me here at Neighborhood? Those are the kinds of things we're going to kind of unpack for you. Band, why don't you come on up right now? We're about to sing this song called Enough. And I love that this is God's work and God's going to be the one carrying this forward. And we get to uh, be along for the ride as well as have our part in it. I want you, if you haven't done so already, if you've come in thinking about the world, thinking about your week next week, thinking about uh, a fight on the way to church, whatever it may be, I want to ask you right now, use this next few moments to just prepare your heart. Say, God, I really want to hear from you this morning. Um, and uh, and just use this this as an opportunity to, to do that. Band, why don't you lead us? I want you to pull out your, uh, your bulletin this morning. And there's no insert this morning on purpose. Um, I want you just to... Uh, have that have that ready to go we're gonna we're gonna uh, be, be bringing that up in a short short little bit um, in terms of just thinking about vision some people when when you start talking about big plans and pulling up and looking about where we're going and stuff some of you in this room that just lights you up that gets you really fired up and you just go man I love thinking about this I love talking about this uh, this really is exciting others of you um, it doesn't I realize that you just go Can't we just get back to John? Can't we just keep plodding along? And frankly, the body of Christ needs both people. Uh, If every single person on the boat was like the visionary captain who's like, hey, we should be over there at Bath Mountain. And other people are like, no, we should be over here. No one's running the boat. And you are just kind of sitting there going nowhere. Right. So the body of Christ needs both kinds of people. Here's what I would toss out to you. Every single one of us in this room who are following after Jesus Christ are disciple makers. That that is what we are called to do. And as you read the scriptures, as you come into alignment with what God is growing in you, he is growing in you a functioning part of his body, his hands and feet. And so you begin to just say, man, I want to look for what is God doing in this world and how can I join in with that? How can I be a part of that? And that's a part of what coming into submission of the scriptures and what's been revealed in Jesus Christ is all about. So in one sense, the stuff we're going to talk about has a church-wide kind of impact. And on another sense, it has a very individual, personal kind of impact where you ought to be asking some of these questions for yourself. And you ought to be asking this for your family, for those that you influence, for those that you lead. Many of you, I know because I talk to you, many of you are just involved in relationships and conversations and you're hoping for and praying for things in people's lives. And you're going, Lord, I want to be used of you. And it's so exciting to hear you guys talk about that stuff. That's one of the thrills of my position in this role, in this ministry, is just getting to interact with you and encourage you and pray for you and, and, and come alongside you and just get to hear reports of that. I want you to know that is happening. As I look across into the faces of this room, that is happening all over the place. Be excited about that because you know what? None of us in the flesh would, would be doing this. That's God at work. And that's super, super exciting. In the flesh, we'd all be just doing our own thing, going after building our own kingdom, worried about building a safe, comfortable life. So that's super exciting. For those of you who may feel tendency to to check out here a little bit, whatever, I just want to challenge you. Think of this. Think of this church wide as we're talking about. But also, I want you to ask these questions and think about kind of it for your own self as well. When we talk about discipleship making Um, It's just it's such a huge topic. We're going to touch on a couple of things this morning, but it's an ongoing conversation. Here's one of the things that I've come to believe and, and we as leaders really believe passionately and are going to structure things this way is that discipleship making is both an event. There is a moment in time when you have a regenerate heart. But it's not just an event. It's also a process or a journey. So, in other words, discipleship making isn't something that you did back in 1978 when you walked an aisle and you're done with it. And I'm now a disciple. No, that's something that since 1978, you better be growing in discipleship. And discipleship is an ongoing journey since that point. But I want to make it also really clear. There is a specific point in time. You can't sort of be a Christian any more than you can kind of be pregnant. You either are pregnant or you're not. Now, you may not know the exact moment. And some of you have a testament that says, I'm not sure the exact moment, but you can't sort of be a Christian. I've been around the church a bunch. I've read a lot of scripture. I think I'm kind of in. It's, it, you're either in or you're out. You're dead or you're alive. The Bible just makes that painfully clear. So discipleship making is both an event and a journey. And as I talk about things, we need to be really clear on that so that we're kind of on the same page. What this implies is that there is movement, that there's growth, that there's change. And if you're like a typical crowd, I would say that a majority of people in this room fear and do not like change. Some of you live for it, but it's a minority. It's the person who changes car, you know, every year. you're so like, man, nah, I just need something new. And they move a lot and they change jobs and they try out new things and this, that and the other thing. Some of you just fear change and will avoid change almost at all costs. I'll just toss out to you this morning, what we're talking about is change. Now, some of you are like, oh, man, I knew he was going to say that. But here's the reality. We throw this term around, around here a lot, which I really like, and I think it communicates a lot. But it's this idea of come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are means we're a neighborhood church. We're here to say we want to cast the seed wildly. And God's a God of all nations. But you know what? He hasn't called us just to come and start filling a pew. And once you've got your pew with your little name on it, you just show up each week and you're good. He wants you to come to to Christ, come to Jesus. But coming to Jesus always changes you, doesn't it? It just does. And that hurts sometimes. In fact, dying to yourself that we talked about last week, that's painful. You ever watch a death of any kind? It's painful. So is spiritually dying to yourself. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Because there's always something God wants to be doing in you. Here's another thing we're fiercely committed to as a church that disciples are not mass produced, but they're instead made by hand. In other words, we couldn't possibly, as a church leadership, even if we were the biggest brainiacs of all and could develop processes, this, that, and the other thing, we could not assembly line some kind of a program to create disciples. You know who would get the glory if that was possible? Those who came up and are running the process. But that's not how it goes. That's not how it works with anything living, really. But for sure in the Bible, we don't see that. And so so that's not what we're talking about. And whether we're a a church that stays 100 for the next 10 years or we're a church that explodes to 500 in the next 10 years, what we want to say is this. We don't have any intention of somehow feeling like we can mass produce or assembly line disciples. I talked about this several times. Several uh, weeks ago, a couple months ago, in fact, this idea of the arrowhead is just an incredible picture of this. Because you, you take an arrowhead, which most of us don't think about arrowheads very often, probably, but I want you to think about arrowheads just for a moment in light of disciples. Is that each arrowhead is uniquely handmade? Each arrowhead is shaped, think about this, by chipping away unnecessary parts, right? Starts with something. There's a designer in mind that says, nope, that's not needed. That's not needed. Think about how that goes. It's taken away by blows. (laughs) It's not a nice, calm, soft process. As it begins to take shape, what you realize this is every single arrowhead has a point. (laughs) And I mean that in two ways. There's a point, but there's also a specific purpose in mind for that arrowhead. Praise God. That's exactly what I would say. He's doing in the lives of disciples. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 25 years or you became a Christian last night. That's the process that we're in. We're in the process of being formed into His image. Disciples are similar to that. In thinking about just kind of where we've been to where we are, now I want to move your attention from where we are to just saying what's around the corner. I remember Kurt having this great image of a road that kind of was a mountain road and it kind of bended around to the right. And there was this thin little guardrail. And he said, man, this journey that we're on as a brand new baby church is a little bit like that. We can't see very on far ahead of the road. And the guardrail is pretty thin. And frankly, the drop is pretty steep. But we know God's calling us onward and we know that he's in control of this. So we're going to march on in faith. And, and many of you, I look back on some pictures, it's just so cool to see some of your faces and, and um, here, you, here you are still on this faith journey, still pulling in the same direction with neighborhood. One of the things that we shared at the start of the year and we still feel very committed to is that we believe that maturing disciples are ones who are growing and passionately involved in at least these three areas. These are three kind of huge categories that we've said kind of, kind of fit some things to think about. One is a loving, deepening relationship with God. In fact, really, it all starts there. We sang the song Center. Actually, maybe we're going to sing it. Um, And uh, and it just talks about the fact that it all flows from a relationship with Christ. That's what this is all about. That's where everything else starts. Is this is this relationship? Here's the second thing, though, is that we're in committed and loving relationships with the family of God. That's another thing that we, we don't see that as optional in the Bible. It's there, and it's a part of of what it means to be a, a disciple. Thirdly is serving and sharing with other people. And if you think about it, Neighborhood Bible Church really has programmed around this singular vision to make disciples. Worship services, community groups, and this whole idea and notion of global, which is serving, has been our three primary ways of kind of programming what we think is important. And you tend to program to what you value and what you think is important. You see this progression, it starts with worship, it moves on to building up the body, and it's all for the purpose of serving. Here's what's what's new today. Just a couple of subtle changes. On the front of your bulletin, you'll see this play button right here. And this is something, too, that I kind of unveiled in in January, first Sunday in January. I want you to pull that out because I'm going to have you write a couple of things on this. This little play button is going to become a little bit familiar to you over the next... However long. But what I love about it is it's going to be a simple, clear, visual reminder to some of the things that we're talking about with regard to discipleship making. The play button is common and regular. In fact, I see a play button every single day. And yet what's cool about a play button is, you know what? You actively push it and in faith, things happen. Movement happens, right? Something goes on. If something doesn't happen, I like push, push, push. Usually it's click, click, click. And something's wrong. We've got to figure it out. You know, the speakers aren't on. Whatever's going on, I've got, to, I've got to make it happen. But it's a common, regular thing. We're going to see it a lot. We're going to see play buttons all over the place. I wanted to just kind of start to, to dial into this discipleship-making deal. It's also a visual representation of our purpose and kind of our journey for making disciples. And here's what it looks like. Take this top point and write the word worship down right here. Worship is where it all starts. It begins with a relationship with God. It begins with a regenerate heart where God says, you're a child of mine. You're in our family. You're in my family now. It moves on to community. Some of you are are in neighborhood Bible church for the first time. You're in a a family of believers. And it's just been so exciting to watch you begin to blossom in that. As many of you know, we adopted this last year and we review constantly. We're always talking about this. But there are whole parts to Cassie's personality as we look back on pictures of us being at her orphanage. And we just say, man, there's whole realms of her personality that I wonder if they ever would have blossomed if she spent her entire life in an orphanage alone without a family. I don't think so. She's a complete ham. Most of you don't see that because she's pretty shy. But she has the whole family laughing on many nights around the dinner table. She was super reserved and quiet, even according to those who knew her well in the orphanage. And that's the same way it is with believers. Some of you have come into a family of God and you begin to just have whole areas of your life open up and blossom because you're in a loving family that's around you. And that's the way God designed us not to be alone. What I want you to see is this, that these two key components, an ongoing worship, worship relationship with God and being in the family of God always result in this third thing, and that is the idea of sharing, of serving. Those two foundations have a point. They point toward service and good works, and we're going to roll that out a little bit. There's a couple of subtle changes that I want to walk through why we're doing these, just so you can hear. Some of you, it just, this doesn't matter, some of you are wor- wondering and worried about this. I'll explain it to you right now. Of our four kind of focus areas, you'll notice the word community groups. We dropped the word groups and just made it community. And here's the reason for that. Community groups was something that is a tool to accomplish community. You see that? So in other words, the idea that that our end goal here at Neighborhood is to get everyone in a community group is totally false. You're going to hear me talk about small groups, community groups, uh, accountability groups. Those kinds of things are hugely important. Not because I care one iota about having lots of community groups. All that is is a tool. The end result of that is I happen to know that it's pretty easy to sit in church, even in a small church, and be here week after week after week, hear God's word, hear of people being, uh, having testimony, and have zero life change happen. I'll tell you where it gets really difficult is when you look eye to eyeball with people and you begin to walk through life. And they begin to both encourage, challenge, rebuke, and strengthen you by doing life on life with you. And that's what community groups is all about. It's coming together. It's breaking this larger group into smaller family pockets that really get to be known. And so we're dropping the word groups kind of from this this big picture thing because that can happen and occur in a number of ways. There's a handful of you that are not in a neighborhood Bible church community group. And yet you're still thoroughly wrapped up in community. And so what's exciting about that is we don't feel like we have all kinds of, um, of ownership. And you have to be in a neighborhood Bible church community group to, to be experiencing community. Some of you may be leading a Bible study one year from now in your cubicle every Thursday uh, at 7 o'clock in the morning before work starts. And God's got you in this this community group that has nothing to do with Neighborhood Bible Church. And He's got you right exactly where He wants you. Some of you are going to be leading groups a year from now. And you thought, man, I never saw myself as that person. But God just kept moving me toward there. Someone had to do something. And God just kept nudging me and said, you're the person for this. Step up. And so by faith, you're going to respond to that. So that's community groups. Community groups as a program could go away. We'd still have a church. Community goes out the window and goes away. We don't have a church anymore. That is something inherent to the New Testament church. Let me move on. The word glocal has turned into share. Here's, what, here's why we started with glocal. For those of you who are rather new, glocal is a mix of global and local conveniently put together. Here's exactly why we started off with the word that... That was unique like that. The word glocal demands definition. It's not a word in the dictionary. It comes up in my spell check every time. So what it does, it requires you to define. What are you talking about when you say glocal? We wanted that. Here's why. Because evangelism and missions for people who have been raised in the church or been around the church for any length of time has tons of baggage with it. What happens is sometimes people come into a church and go, missions, evangelism, yeah, I know I hate evangelism because that scares me to death. And missions means I write a check to someone overseas once a month. And we just said, man, that is so not the New Testament biblical picture of what that's talking about, that we want to chuck those terms and kind of create our own term. Well, here's why we're moving the word to share today is because we feel like we're in a season right now that just demands clarity. And we want to take that word that always cause someone to say, if someone asked me what neighborhood church was about, I'd say these four things, uh, Sunday morning worship, community groups, glocal, and children's ministry. And they'd go, what was that third one? And I'd say glocal. And then we'd talk about it. It would demand me to kind of further explain that. The word share, I want you to think about this for a moment. Whether you have kids or not, those of you with kids will get this in a unique way. But everyone has parents, so you can remember back to your own childhood maybe. But the word share is something that I don't care what your background is. I hear I go to parks a lot. I'm around other people's kids a lot. And sharing is a value that is intrinsically in people. And people are parents are thrilled when their kids share with someone else. Here's the reason for that. If I force my kid to take part of their, you know, cookie, whatever, and And give it to someone else. That's one thing. But what if I'm watching from afar and I see my one child gets gets five cookies. And he happens to have four siblings. And he has every right in the world to eat all five cookies or savor them and space them out over the next five days or five minutes. What if voluntarily that child says, I've got five. One for me still leaves four cookies. I've got four siblings. Hey, do you guys want one? And just offers it up. I'll tell you what. There's nothing. I mean, as a parent, you see that. And it just there's a huge reaction to that as a parent. You just go, yes, there's something intrinsic going on there where they had to do it. They didn't do it because mom and dad were watching and they're kind of winking at you like chalk up the points, you know, I get something for doing this, but they just do it. That is a huge ordeal. That delights a parent. You know what God's called his family to be? Sharers. We ought to be the most generous people that anyone bumps into on any given week or day. They ought to look at your life and say, I don't know what it is about Bertha. She's just generous. Man, Fred and his family are just the most generous people in the neighborhood. It's almost disgusting. Disgusting. They just give. They're just ones who share. That one word just kind of wraps up so much, which I really, really love. Share what is is kind of a question that might come to mind. Here's here's in a nutshell, our time, our stuff, our talent, our energy, our money. Just share. Here's another idea. How many of you have heard the term share the gospel? Right. That's a real common vernacular uh, vernacular for people in church. We share the gospel. Well, think about that. What that is, is God's given you a gift. God's given you a hope for eternal life. God's given you victory over sin in this life. We could hoard it, hang on to that, be thrilled that we're saved, be thrilled that we're reaping the benefits. Or we could both have it and give it away. And that's what God calls us to do those who try to hoard things in this life and just gather more and more, you know what's going to end up in the end? You're going to forfeit your soul. You lose it all. Those who are willing to give it all away, they'll receive it for eternity. That's part of the message of what was happening last week. So sharing the gospel means um, just this, that, that we're not supporting other people doing that overseas somewhere in some faraway land. But rather, we think of ourselves as as on mission. And if we would be willing to share our money, share a ride, share a meal with someone who's starving, wouldn't we be willing to share what God's done in us and share the gospel? That's the basic question put before all of us. Second Corinthians eight, seven. Just listen to this. This Paul writing to a church, he says, but just as you excel in everything. In faith. In speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us. Pretty good church right now, huh? Listen to what he says. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, he's talking specifically here in the context of this church about money specifically. And he's talking about the fact that don't just be good in all these other areas. You're doing amazing in all these areas. I see it. But don't neglect this grace of giving. But I think the picture, as you look New Testament wide, expands expands that same idea that we're not just to be a holy huddle that excel in doing so good at loving those in the body, but that those always point towards sharing. God did this in the Old Testament. We could take all kinds of time to unpack God being a blessing, God blessing the nation of Israel, not so that they'd hoard it and have five cookies, but so they'd be a blessing to the nations around them, because God's the God of all nations. And we see that from the very start of his plan. Generosity is a grace that grows in us as we grow in God. No question about it. Turn to Ephesians chapter four. And Ephesians chapter four talks about this a little bit. As we look at the play button in the months and years to come, I want us to think about this idea of it's going somewhere. This this Sunday morning gathering is going somewhere. We're, we're not just here to keep meeting until, until something happens one day and we, we you know, end up not here in some way, shape, or form. But, then, but then there's, a, there's a point to it and it's moving somewhere. Look at, look at verse 11 of, of Ephesians chapter 4. It says this. It was he... It's talking about Christ, who is the one who builds his church. It was he who gave some to be apostles. There's that word gave Christ giving his life, Christ giving gifts to the church, Christ giving people to the church. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers. Why did he give all this to the church? Here it is. To prepare God's people for works of service. God gave leadership to this church to prepare God's people, the church, for works of service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God is the one providing What we need for growth, what's the goal, what's the destination that we're pointing to? Here it is for you and I, for those of you already in the family of God, a part of the body, it's to be mature. It's to be complete. It's to attain to the fullness of Christ in these in these different areas. One of the characteristics that is unique about Neighborhood Bible Church, and people ask me this all the time. Hey, you're a part of a church startup. That's great. What what kinds of things you guys have going? And I say, well, not a whole lot in terms of program wise. And they go, oh, bless you, brother. I'll pray for you. And then I say, no, actually, let me explain that. You know what? We don't have a whole lot of program on purpose. It's not because we're new and startup and can't develop a bunch of programs. But what we've seen in the church is a tendency to be able to devote so much time to keeping programs up and running and be out at the church several nights a week and constantly be building up things here that our neighbors never have any time for for us because we don't have any time for them. We couldn't possibly be involved in places of influence at work or bonus situations with with relationships down the street because we're way too slammed with tons of program that we have to keep going at the church, hoping they're making impacts of some sort. So we're stripping the church of its power instead of allowing the salt and light to infiltrate all these different neighborhoods where I know where a lot of you live. Scary, huh? But I just think about all of you guys spread out all over this this kind of city and just going, man, what if we constantly keep going doing this and constantly keep pulling everything back to this box? Man, we're stripping, we're stripping the church of her power when we do that. So that's why we've, we've almost intentionally deprogrammed. And what's been so exciting about that is we've constantly been saying, we want God to be stirring up in you as the body of Christ things that you ought to be involved in, rather than coming and joining a handful of programs that we could come up with. By not over-programming, leaders don't stagnate the creativity and passion of the body. Instead of a handful of leaders just kind of programming a couple of things, there are things that are popping up in this congregation like little seedlings. And we just say, well, let's, let's see if God's in that. Let's water that a little bit. I've got a few questions for you. I want to know why you're doing this. Have you thought of this? But let's see if God grows that. That sounds like a really neat idea. And if God's calling you to do that, far be it from me to say, no, stop doing that. Come support this thing over here. So we've encouraged people to dream and to follow God in, in things that they feel called to do. There's so much great variety in the body that's seen and developed when the when the body is given opportunity to, to dream a dream and build a team and go after something. It prevents atrophy, really, where whole chunks of the body are just kind of sitting there limp, like being in a cast for months and months. And you get it out, and you're like, Hey, how's it going? You know, pretty tired. It's pretty hard to shake your hand, just been hanging out here this whole time. Creates all kinds of unhealth. In short, the body is being built up, disciples are being made. Now one of the things you'll notice with four things, shifting down to three things, is that children's ministry is no longer in the top four. You're gonna hear more about this in a short period of time, but we we have continued to invest and continue to feel called as a church body to minister to children and to be passionate and intentional about that. We've worked for months with Jeff and Hannah, and before that, Sharon Adam, uh, just to say that we want to have the children's ministry come into alignment with what we're doing church-wide. And in fact, some of the things that Jeff and Hannah have already started to roll out in children's ministry align quite simply with this very simple discipleship-making picture of these three areas. And we're excited about that. More to come on on youth as well. Ben and I have had some great dialogue. Ben was was in a youth group led by me many, many years ago, many eons ago. <laughs> um, you know what we're doing now is we're just talking and saying, you know what? God may, God may land us in some very similar places that youth ministry looked like back in the day, but we don't want to just recreate that. If God's going to lead us there, he's going to lead us there on purpose. And Ben is dreaming, and visioning some... Very creative, great things. Being next door every single week. You can pray for Ben every single Monday. He's over there at Homework Club, just serving teachers, serving students, 50, 60 kids. And Ben's in there helping them with math homework. Just rubbing shoulders with them. We're beginning to pray for kids by name who are over there and who need Jesus. And it's just so exciting. Rather than start up, I know how to build a big youth ministry program with lots of programs. And it may be fun and it may be effective. But if it's going to get there, it's going to get there by God's leading. It's going to happen a little bit more organically than just coming in and slapping program. I want to fire off a couple of disclaimers. Here they are. Disclaimer one. Assembly line spirituality doesn't work. I've already said that, but, but here's what that means is that. Um, it's going to require, this requires a whole lot more time because it requires sitting down. It requires in a small group, not just regurgitating answers that we've heard before. Not taking cute little Christian cliches or memorizing a few, you know, quilted phrases from Berean Christian bookstore and spouting them a whole bunch. But rather it's going to take prayerful discernment. People come and go, man, I want to know God's will for my life. I say, you know what? Part of the time I don't know God's will for my life. And I could spout off some scriptures to you and just pretend I know, but I don't want to do that. I reject that notion. You know what it takes? It takes faithful taking steps and God will begin to open it up as you follow him. That's what it takes. Abram, get up. You're going. Where are we going, Lord? I'm not telling. Okay. that's part of following God. And so that takes prayerful discernment. That takes that takes not knowing. That takes doubt and fear and all of that. Here's the second one is that leaders are called to equip and coach, but we are not able to cause growth to happen. That means a lot of people give this lame excuse. I'm not going to that church anymore. How come? Well, I just wasn't growing. When you really press into that, you, know what you hear sometimes um, I wasn't hearing the word of God taught. My small group leader was flaky on me. The worship band uh, didn't quite suit my needs. Um, I mean, on and on we go with why we get to church and go on to the next one. And so many times it's a little bit of a blame shift just saying, you know what? Yeah, I, I couldn't grow there. And the question I fire back sometimes is, honestly, were you being prevented from 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 growing there? Was there something stopping you? Because sometimes God has you in a difficult situation and that's exactly where he wants you. Isn't it so much easier to to blame your lack of achievement in the job on your boss and lack of opportunity than lack of hard work on your own part or flakiness on your own part? Isn't it easy as a as an athlete to 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 blame your 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 teammates Man, my teammates made my scores go down this year? My coach just isn't all that on and on. We can go with this. And we do this in a spiritual realm as well. Thirdly is this, there aren't 12 steps to complete and then you're done. There just aren't. The Bible doesn't say, do this, 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 this. Now you're done. Now just look down your nose at everyone else as they struggle along. That's called being a Pharisee. Jesus renounced that. He had very harsh words for that. So as nice as that would be, as compartmentalized as that would be, as American as that would be to be able to check, 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 check. Done. Victory. Complete. It just doesn't work that way. The reality that I've seen is the, the more mature you get in your Christian walk, the more you see you have to grow. And I love hanging around with people that I go, man, they almost walk on water. And then you hang around and you go, oh, no, they don't. (laughs) But you know what? They're a lot further down the road than I am. You know what? They're a lot more aware of their sin than I am. You know what? I probably have a long way to grow in this. Better hang on. Better brace for a, a long journey. I want you just to. Look at disclaimer number two. Here's the play button. Here's the, the risk that we all run. We can run this individually. We can run this as a church. Here's, here's a triangle that gets really, really, really good at potlucks. Okay? The fellowship community part of the arrow is massive and really, really developed. We're not called as Christians to be professional potluckers. That's not what Christ did for us. That gets you fat and unhealthy in, in physical and spiritual ways. God never ever called us to that. And that's how this era would look. Very short on our worship of God. Very short on our sharing and serving other people. Here's, here's the other picture. The Bible talks about zeal without knowledge. You know what zeal without knowledge is? It's, it's any social action club that says there's a problem. We need to go dive in and do something. We could become a church that is all involved in social action. It, it emerges from us. And just, we get the glory, it feeds back to us, and, we're, and there's no spiritual power to it whatsoever. We're just running around as busybodies doing good things for different people. You know what? There's no powerful life change in that. If not flowing from a heart of worship, that kind of thing sours into all kinds of nonsense that we don't want individually or corporately as a church. If not done in community, again, there's a problem. So we don't want to have this elongated arrow that looks like this. Finally, no Lone Ranger Christian. This is the person who maybe is super developed and, you know, is is all about God. Maybe they're even really all about about community, but there's very little on the outflow. And it turns into this squashed kind of an of a play button. We've never seen play buttons that that, that look like this. Lone Ranger Christians turn into Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber, who goes off all on his own, writes manifestos, does weird little things, gets weird little ideas. And then blows people up. It's a weird deal. So we don't want a church like that. We don't want to be the church collectively that are the the Unabomber church. It's us. We found the corner on the truth. And no one else has it. You know, we want to display humility and say, you know what? We are part of a larger community of churches. And so there are pastors that, that I pray for all the time. There are ministries that I care about and want to support and want to lift up all around us, people who hold Christ as their senior pastor and are pulling exactly the same direction as us. So community and worship and sharing are all massively important. I want you to consider the farmer for just a moment. The farmer is on a joint venture with God for a crop. If you think about it, there's things that the farmer uh, does that God will not do for him. God will not go weed the farmer's 40 acres. God will not get up at 530 in the morning and let him sleep in and go do the hard work. God will not pick the crop for him. But there are also things that God does that the farmer cannot do. He cannot cause the sun to shine. He cannot cause the rain to fall. He cannot cause the miracle of life to happen. He cannot cause a good crop or a bad crop. And in that same exact picture, that's what discipleship looks like. You are in a partnership with God. You're in a joint venture with God, not with this church. But you and the Lord are are in a joint venture to cause growth in your life. And God will not do for us the things that we're called to do and responsible to do. Listen to these verses. Hebrews 12, 14. I could go on and on with this, but I won't. Here's a sampling. Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue. Holiness, for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Pursue gives us indication of very active, very intentional and long term. How about this one? First Timothy four, seven. Train yourself to be godly. Is that Kel's job to train Jonathan to be godly? No, that's not the way God set it up. Train yourself to be godly. 1 Corinthians 9.25 talks about this picture of an athlete and wanting a prize. And he compares that to a spiritual journey. He says, each athlete goes into strict training. Anyone who's been in sports gets this immediately. And they're actively involved in their own growth. And that's the picture of spiritual growth. All right, moving along. How do I get involved with this? I'm going to wrap up my part with this with three things. And then I'm going to bring Kel up. But here it is. Assess where you are in your journey and maturity. Romans twelve three says this. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Do you know what's godly and right to stop and think about yourself? People go, I should never think about myself. Yes, you should. You should evaluate. Where am I at in this deal? Have I even started my walk with God? Am I with God and tight with God, but I fear being with other people? Am I in tight with God and other people, but I don't think about sharing Ever. Unless I'm made to feel guilty about it on some sermon. Assess where you are. Know where you are. Lay on your bed at night and say, God, search me. Know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. I want to partner with you. I want to be with you on this. Here's the second thing. Obey it by taking the next steps in the spiritual journey. Listen to 1 John 2, 5. But if anyone, catch this, obeys his word, the Bible, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. The book of first John makes no bones about it. How can you say the love of God is in you when you can't love the people that you see? There's action tied into it. Second Peter 318 says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow means taking the next step. Be obedient to take the next step. Thirdly, is grow in what you already know to do. I think most Christians, I think most of you sitting in this room already know far more than what you're acting on. I know that's true in my life. Do I really need another book on prayer? Or do I need to faithfully discipline, enter into strict training and pray? Do I really need a few more tips on what it really means to share my faith? Give an account for the hope in my life? No, I don't think so. I'd sacrifice, but I haven't been to enough seminars learning what that means. So let me drop several hundred dollars, go to this conference, and then I'll really learn about sacrifice. You know what? We already know more than what we're acting on. And so this this idea of just growing in what you already know to do. Listen to James 2.22. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete, catch this, by what he did. Not enough to be a hearer of the word each week. Say, I'm a part of a church with great worship and, and teaching from the word. Far be it from us as a church that gathers to just spew truth and not act on it. I love Colossians 1 9. It's the leadership of the church saying, We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that. Here's why we're praying you to be filled with knowledge. Ready? That you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit. Live a life pleasing him in every way, bearing fruit. Those are all action things. Those are tangible things. You know what's exciting? So when someone comes alongside you and says, brother, I got to tell you, I'm seeing fruit in your life. I've known you now for years. I've never known you to be a patient person. I'm watching you being slow to speak. I'm watching you being slow to anger. I'm I'm watching you be a quick to listen type person. Man, that's a fruit. Man, you're the stingiest person I ever knew. I'm starting to see generosity pour out of you. Praise God for that. That's what happens when you rub shoulders with people, when you get on the front lines with people, when you go through life with people. They begin to speak truth into your life, both encouraging, sometimes rebuking. Kel's going to come up and share with us what this looks like collectively. What happens when you take a bunch of individual arrowheads that God's chipping on and working on and you get pointing all in the same direction? Kel, why don't you come on up? And uh, part of what we wanted to do this morning was share a little bit about where Neighborhood Bible Church is um, just kind of as a church. And so, uh, Kel, take it away. Here, use use this one. This is all, this is all orchestrated and preplanned. Yeah,
1: down yeah, right. to the minute detail. Okay, so pretend you don't have a mic, and then... okay, is that better? Okay, so I guess a um, couple things before I start. I just wanted to say, first off, that um, this is maybe the not exciting part of this. <laughs> they, uh, maybe it's exciting for some people, um, but I just uh, bear with me in the first part um, uh, as we get to the end of it here. The other thing I just wanted to say before I start is um, in this we're going to get into uh, what God's doing with uh, our church financially and where, you know, maybe we're seeing things um you know, where we might grow individually and collectively. But I did want to say before I do, before I get into this, is personally, and I think Dave and Jim for that matter too, we don't see any individual contributions. We don't see any names or anything like that. That's all, it's not part of our responsibility, not what I'm at all interested in, and I don't have a right to see that. And it's between you and God. Um, So I just wanted to say that before we get started. Um, So, oh, this is good. So here's, I just have a few things about where we've been. So this is a little bit similar to how Dave organized where we've been and where we're going. And since I have this thing, I'll go up here. Uh, a little bit fuzzy, but the way to read this is the green is uh, contributions. The blue is what we spent, and the orange is the difference. The green, the green, the darker colors is what we had planned on doing, and the lighter colors is what actually happened. So we planned on raising some, we planned on spending some, and we planned, we actually planned on spending more than we raised. Uh, we were blessed to have some to start with. Um, the net difference is that we spent, we, we brought in, the, uh, what came in was slightly less than what we thought, but we spent less than what we thought, and we spent less than, the, the, the difference It was good. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, for 2009, Uh, we're planning on, obviously, uh, to to accomplish things here uh, that some contributions uh, continue. And I'll make a comment here in a moment. We obviously plan on spending some money. And this year, it's a little bit less, but we do plan on spending a little bit more uh, than we uh, bring in. That's not a comfortable spot to be in, um, but it's uh, where we're at after uh, we did some praying about... Uh, where we should be spending and where we shouldn't be spending. Um, So these are my observations. Here's some comments and observations, and this is uh, kind of seeded by me and talked about uh, pretty extensively with uh, Dave and Jim. Um, But what we're planning for uh, in 2009 is that giving is flat. It's the same as last year. We didn't think it prudent uh, for a number of reasons to expect a lot more or, for that matter, a lot less. Um, we, our expenses are slightly higher, uh, in 2009 than they were in 2008, uh, for good reason. And I'll get into that. Oh, they're right here. Um, we're making a significant investment in youth ministry. So this, you know, what we talked about a little bit is, you know, when we talk about, uh, worship community and share, and you see that, uh, children's thing, you know, kind of drop off. It's like, whoa, is that not important anymore? No, uh, actually we're making, uh, pretty significant investments um, and, and primarily with Ben coming on board, that's a big investment that we're making in children and youth. Um, and Dave, actually, I, wanted to, I made a note here when you said, if you don't mind, um, you, you, uh, earlier Dave said you know, the bulk of what God is doing is here in the church, and I just want to add to that that I think part of the reason we're trying to simplify and not over-program things and have things going on like, oh, we got this thing Monday night and this thing Tuesday night, and boy, I'm going to take off Monday, Wednesday morning because I got this thing and stuff like that, because what's, what's really going on is, and what's important, what God's doing is in your heart and in your family. If you look all throughout the Old Testament and you see, and, and the new for that matter too, but it's so evident in the Old Testament that God works through families. And we want to create space not only for you and your communities, but also you and your families. Um, so so uh, I don't know why I thought about, oh, just our, our, uh, <laughs> our investment in youth uh, to not replace what's going on in the family, but to complement what's going on in a family. Uh, and then we have a slight increase, and I'm, I'm glad about this, uh, slight increase in our missions giving. So now, now here's some of my observations or our observations about this. Um, we're happy about, really thrilled about the progress that we're making on Debt of Love. So I'll get onto that a little bit uh, more detail here. Um, also, very happy about the, the investment in youth um, that 's just really, really important, I think, and I think that 's where god 's uh, calling us. Um, things that we 're not so thrilled about, and you know another way to say that is we 're not funding this right now is the children 's program. so you saw what Hannah and Jeff had in mind, really exciting stuff really aligns with what uh, Dave just talked to us about as far as there's going to be a worship com- component to the children's in, uh, program, a uh, smaller community p- uh, component, and then as we go forward, we're hoping that there's a get out and share component to this too. And the thing that I just love about this program, I think Jeff and Hannah are probably out doing their thing, but it is all about family. And I really love what, um, what Ben is doing too. When I was looking at this earlier um, uh, earlier today, To see that some of our following these things about uh, some of the older children, the uh, high school and youth, is that it it says right here with family nights. So, again, you know, it's not a replacement for what we're doing uh, in the family, but kind of a supplement for what we're doing. That said, there's more we could do, more we wanted to do. But financially, we just didn't think it's prudent to commit to funding some of it. So we're a little short on children's, uh, what we could and what we think we should be doing there at some point. Um, I will make a note that uh, I wasn't too thrilled about what we could or couldn't do as far as compensation for the people who are on staff. Um, and I think there's things that we need to be doing there uh, as a congregation to, uh, to make that right. I still think that our missions giving is a little too, it's too small a percentage of our total. Um, I'd like it to be 10 I think we're at 2 or 3 right now Um, and then we had to cut back on some of our community outreach and what we had planned on spending here in the community and again it was all kind of under the uh, under the observations of we're planning on bringing in the same amount uh, as we did last year we're planning on spending uh, some and we didn't think spending more than what we had planned uh, was prudent at this point so now Oh, this number. Oh, yeah. Okay. So now. So basically what this comes out to is, again, green is uh, what's given and blue is what's uh, spent. And we essentially if we if we uh, uh, if there were contributions of thirty seven thousand two hundred ninety two dollars more than what we had planned, we would cover our deficit. So we wouldn't spend more than we planned uh, uh, on bringing in. And we would fund those things that we aren't funding right now, that little list of what we're not thrilled about uh, in our budget. So kind of something to think about, pray about, and stretch toward is, is this in us? Is, is God working in us to go beyond what you know, a few of us have put on paper? If I go on to debt of love specifically, this is really exciting. Um, you can see the numbers there. 86% of our goal, so we were, our goal was $51,000. Um, 86% of this has been pledged. You've all committed to saying, yeah, we're we're going to fund this this amount. 68% of that has been uh, collected. So basically, let's see, let me get past here again. So I guess this is one over here. So the blue is what's been already contributed. Um, The orange is what's been committed already by pledges and uh, hasn't been collected. As you know, we planned on, originally planned to take this to the end of April. And we need to, to reach the goal that's been set out uh, just under $9,000 more. Um, so we need to find a way. Um, and, and again, Dave, Jim, and I have talked about this extensively. we prayed about it. One of the options is well, let's just stop. Maybe we're just not supposed to raise 51000 That was the wrong goal in the first place. We didn't think that right. Um, and it, that's not where uh, God spoke to us. What I think what we all felt uh, through our, t- uh, our time together and our prayers was, no, let's stretch for this. Let's stretch for this. And I'd like to make some suggestions. Oh, I have some, uh, the appeal down here on the bottom, is that instead of taking it through the end of um, uh, April, could, you, could we go to the end of June? There's some people who were consistent givers as far as that's how they're, you're uh, contributing to your pledge. Every week, every month, something like that. There's some people who are one-time givers or infrequent givers. So um, if you're a regular giver, could you take it through the end of June? I think, and so basically, um, you know, when I look at what it, would, what it would mean for us to raise just, you know, almost $9,000 more, um, people who are regular givers, could you take it through the end of June? People who are one-time givers or kind of more infrequent givers, could you uh, do another uh, one-time or a spot uh, contribution to debt of love? So putting this together then, the Debt of Love and our regular uh, ministry, um, the bottom here, the blue is what we have planned. The red is the combination of what we've raised uh, and what's what's been contributed for Debt of Love. This, the number in the middle is the remaining pledges, and then that last little number is, um, is what's still... To get to 51,000 to be uh, contributed, and then up on top, adding that uh, other light loop is to cover any our deficit and fund the things that aren't funded right now. So lots to do. Um, this is kind of how it lines up. So now, how do we get there? How do we get to all this? You know, what does it what does it mean? Some observations. Um, and again, I don't see any names, number, um, things like that. Um, but we just observations looking at some. Uh, nifty things that Carl puts together for me. Thanks, Carl, um, is uh, and this is how this is to, I guess say that I don't see any names is we all my family and every, everyone we all get referred to in these reports and stuff like that as a giving unit sounds kind of generic and <laughs> plain and stale. But um, uh, so if I do this, basically, we're 8020. There's 20% of the congregation um, of believers here that um, that fund 80% of the budget, which is you know not. I don't think that's abnormal. Our real, our the real numbers 73 and 18, but same idea. Um, I don't think that's abnormal. I you know there's just. It's, I think that's just the way these things go. Um, and then if I take that kind of 20, so here it is a different way is here's all of this little generic name of giving unit. Um, you know, here's 18% funding, 73% of uh, what goes on, and then the next roughly 20%, uh, and then the next 20%, the next 20-ish percent. This is just the way it lines up. So my observation in this is the edges need attention. The edges are what um, are, are, I'll say, cause for concern t- uh, to a certain degree is, you know, the, and, and maybe I'll... I'll um, Go up to the top is obviously we say every week we say all the time that we don't expect our visitors to make a commitment, a financial commitment to the uh, to the operation of the church. Um, That said, as uh, a community of believers and as a step of maturity in faith, um, if you're resourced to do so, that is a maturing point to make a commitment and to um, and to give. Um, just as Dave laid out for us, uh, to be disciplined in this area of our of our maturity and our faith too. Um, so, could we do some? Could we get here where? Could just 10% more, 20% more, something like that? If and and especially, you know, if if you haven't given, if you're you're just kind of drawn back to doing that right now, could you step out and make a small commitment? Um, that way, we would reduce dependence on um, some. Uh, this kind of 18% and um, kind of spread it around more so kind of nice graphs said a lot of things Gal what does this mean for me um, so for 2009 overall we're in okay shape it's, you know there's nothing glaring um, we're in okay shape if the contributions are consistent with 2008 um, we have a little more to go a little more to go on um, Debt of Love. And can we stretch? Is it in us to stretch even beyond that um, for and to, to fund some of the things that we had to cut out of the budget? Um, and like I said, there's some children's, uh, children's uh, expenses or things that we'd like to do in the children's ministry that we're not doing right now. Um, there's some compensation items that I'm not too uh, pleased about as far as um, we're a little out of whack. Um, you know, missions and local outreach. So some specific things then. Like I said, um, people who are re- on debt of love, regular givers, could you go two more months? I think, and then one-time or infrequent givers, you know, if you had an infrequent or one-time gift, could you do to 20%? That's kind of roughly what would two months of a one-time gift would come out, or a regular gift would come out to be. And then are there one or two out there that could make a large gift? Um, you know, is it, is it there? Um, is that something that God's calling you to do? And on our regular ministry, could we take that same amount that we raised for Debt of Love, fifty-one thousand, and do that again? It's thirty-seven thousand, but it's you know it's kind of same ballpark. Um, could we do that again? Could you take that contribution that you made to Debt of Love and say, okay, I'm going to commit this long term. Um, you stretched me for this season of Debt of Love, and I've I've, I've done it, and you know and maybe it's not a whoo now I'm done and I'm not going to commit that back to God's work. I'm just take that back because I'm going to get the we for my family. Um, or something I don't know, oh, you know and, and again, this is, it's a very personal it's between obviously between each individual uh, and and our God. Um, and you know, some people are going to be able to do this, some people aren't. Um, but uh, I'll just leave that with us uh, with each one of you. Um, you know, for people who are giving you know, regularly, uh, is it in you, is it, you know I just asked to pray about, you know, is there a function to contribute a little bit more? And if you were a first-time giver of devil love because you were um, hearing the appeal and said, yeah, this is something I'm going to start doing, I'm going to start giving, you know, maybe that was what God kind of tugging on your shirt sleeve to say, you know, okay, now, you know, if that was a one-time thing, I didn't mean it to be a one-time thing. <laughs> that was just a get-starter package. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll leave that where it is. Um, so, again, there's an there's a overview of where we're at um, I hope it was clear. If not, I'm happy to answer any any question uh, that I can on, on any of this. It's, there's nothing about this. We, we talked about whether to share numbers or not. And we said, yeah, we're going to share them because it's a family and that's what we do. And, you know, there's nothing that I know that that uh, that others can't know. <laughs> um, and then if I come on to the last piece here that I, uh, that we wanted to share with is about um, we talk about NBC staff. And there's some people, I think it was it was funny, I was talking to Dave about this the other day, and he said, well, yeah, there's people, you know, uh, even though Rob, who leads our worship, doesn't, uh, you know, he's not a paid member of uh, of NBC staff, I sure treat him like one. <laughs> I'll call him at all hours of the day, and, you know, he responds and stuff like that. Um, so I wanted to make a distinction here uh, to a certain degree. The, P, the names here that are underlined are part of the paid staff. Uh, to a certain degree and if I if I look at 2008 and 2009 um, you'll hear the people who you'll led certain uh, certain ministries and I tried to color code it they came out a little kind of fuzzy here on the um, on the chart but first and foremost there's tons of people serving and there's tons of people people serving in ways that I don't get to see Dave doesn't get to see but we know what's happening and I loved what Dave said that he gets to hear about a lot of this stuff uh, in his role and it's just so exciting to see and hear about um, God moving and then what I try to do is make see that where Sharon was who led a lot of and pulled together a lot of children's ministry last year now let's have you know, basically children and youth if I take the same color over here you can see that God's working here I mean we as far as you know okay this is the direction I want you to go he's raised up leaders he's raised up people put it on their heart to take this forward um you know, John Giordano does a ton of work around here um, as far as, you know, just, just keeping the place operational. Um, you know, Rob is leading worship. Community groups, I put in a bit of uh, brackets because, and I, I, I did a little shading there um, to say, yeah, there, we're obviously still doing community groups. There are people who are making um, the, putting in the effort to lead those and be part of them. That said, um, you know, we want to have somebody leading this effort in, in total, uh, we want somebody who's going to you know step up and say, "Yeah, I will run, uh, you know I'll take responsibility for this area of ministry, and we think there's somebody um, you know that's going to be stepping up to that uh, you know when when God is ready and, um, but we can see it happening so uh, the community groups obviously are still happening, there's still people leading those, but we we have somebody who uh, will be stepping up to, to lead that. Um, and this, so if you look at missions last year, it was kind of happening uh, as far as some people getting together and working on it a bit. That's why I put it kind of in brackets in this funny shading. Uh, but, you know, recently Phil and Mindy Nemec have stepped up and said, yeah, we're going to we'll lead that area of ministry. So we're thrilled about that. And obviously, Carol and Dave are still here. So I just wanted to say a bit here. It's exciting stuff. It's exciting to see what's going on as far as the children's and youth ministry. It's exciting to see missions get some, yes, dedicated um, uh, you know, effort. It's exciting to see people who've been serving you know, saying, yeah, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing this. You know, I, this, is, this is what God's called me to do. Um, so it's, this is you know, really uh, you know, it's very encouraging for me to see, and I hope you see it, too. Um, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Hope I didn't use too much time. To... So, um, I think we're on to offering now, right? Okay. So I did, um, for our offering, I, I just put down a few scriptures, uh, as I prayed about this this morning. So if you feel like God following along, I'm happy to uh, tell you where I'm at. Um, but, uh, just put your thumb into John 14:15. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six, And then Matthew six twenty-four. So we'll do a little bit of scripture and then I'll pray. So a lot of times, um, I mean, I guess I ask this of myself, too. But a lot of times my children will say, how do I know how do I show God that I love him? a great question to hear it's kind of like that share thing it's like wow <laughs> great question um and so so and he answers it right here if you in john fourteen fifteen, if you love me you will obey what i command so that's a great one to use with children too <laughs> obey and then i can go straight to the one about father and mother um and then in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-six through forty, you know, he tells us exactly what the greatest commandment is. Okay, so if I'm supposed to obey, what do I what, what's commanded? What's commanded? And they said, um, teacher. So Jesus was being asked. Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And then if we go to Matthew 624, if we take this and apply it to what I've just been talking about, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus, there's tons of, tons of scripture about money. So I think, you know, God knew that we were going to struggle with this um, and said, so, you know, gave us tons of guidance here. And so when I look at this and I, I look at a little more deeply at 624, it's like, well, gosh, this makes it pretty clear. Um, I certainly don't want, to, you know, if I can, I'm going to love one and hate the other. That pretty much tells me where I'm at. I'm going to love God and you know, I can't be shackled. I'm going to hate money. That's it just says it. You should hate money. It's really kind of weird. Um, and, and, but, you know, that's, that's where we're at. I don't think we would ever say, yeah, we're going to flip those. I'm going to hate God. I'm going to love money. Um, and then you know, it uses other words, right? You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So basically he says, okay, you'll be devoted to God. I don't think any one of us would ever say, yeah, I'm going to flip those around. I'm going to despise God. And I'm going to be devoted to money. Now, obviously, this is it's you've got very practical uh, implications for every one of us in different ways and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just as we think about, you know, all the scripture and we look to all the scripture that God gave us about uh, money. And, you know, like I said, there's a ton of it there and he knows we're going to struggle with it. I struggle with it. We all struggle with it. Um, but just wanted to give you a background of as where we are at um, collectively uh, in our journey and our, our you know, struggle with what to do, um, with what God gives us. And um, and just wanted to kind of tie that all together with some scripture there. So I'll ask the ushers to come forward. Um, Rob's getting ready. I'll pray for our offering and, um, and we'll move on. Heavenly Father, we're so blessed to be in the community of believers, to be in the fellowship and worship you together. You make it clear to us through multiple areas of scripture that we show you how we love you by being obedient to you. So please help us get out of the grip of obedience or showing love to things that aren't you, whether it's how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we What we grapple with in our daily lives. And let us grapple with you. Let us grapple with where you want us to be. Let us grapple with what your purpose and what your will is for our lives. I ask as as you do this, you make the work that you're doing in each each person who's here in this in this fellowship, in this community of believers. That you make it permeate their hearts and that you make their will for them. You make your will for me. Abundantly clear. We know it's to worship. We know it's to be in community. We know it's to share, but we struggle with what that means sometimes specifically. So we ask that you make that clear to each one of us. I thank you for those who have struggled with this and have uh, decided to make an offering uh, to your kingdom work through the people and uh, through the work that's done here at NBC. Please bless these offerings. May they be used by you for the advancement of your kingdom.